sometimes I like to take a second and remind us that we are in a holy place. So we sang a lot of songs this morning so far that have been about um, refuge and safety and things like this. Uh, so I got a hunch that some of you are in places where you need rest and you need uh, comfort. Um, and so it just so happens that's what I'm going to talk about as well. So it would appear that if you are in that place that the God of the universe has taken it upon himself to provide an opportunity for you to be in that moment. So for those of you that are in need of rest, um, that are anxious, that are stressed out, any of these things, um, glad you're here with us today. It seems like that might be who we are this morning. Um, okay, uh, where's my slide? Oh. It has problems? It's a slacker. Um, I wanted to... Uh, I had this really like exciting. Uh, it was gonna be pre- it was gonna be pretty. There's gonna be like a light show and a lot of stuff um, going on today. And then I had this conversation with my wife, and it kind of changed everything for me about today. Um, and the conversation went something like this: uh, We were frustrated with our kids, um, and we re- and we said something to the effect of, which I remember my parents saying and never understanding it, um, but something to the effect of, "Summer is so stressful." I really wish the kids could be back in school. Um, And I thought, that is such an odd, such an odd thing. Oh, there it is. Um, So that's my slide for the day. That's it. The hummingbird, okay? It's not whatever that book is that's a kid's book that grown-ups read about, I don't know, yeah, mocking the Blue Jays or fighting, I don't know. Um, It's not that. It's a hummingbird. Um... And that's all I want today. I want there to be rest and peace, even in the stuff that we're looking at today. So I'll give you a heads up. We're going to talk about Psalm 73. So pull out, turn on your Bibles, um, and turn to Psalm 73, and that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, but we had this conversation about our kids, um, and I thought it was so interesting, because I think it stems from, this is pretty much my everyday experience during the summertime. Uh, my son, Johnny, um, is... Um, amazing. Uh, that pause there was, there's lots of things that are just for me when I think about my children. Um, but he's amazing, uh, and he's so full of life. And typically, when he wakes up in the morning during the summer, it's earlier than everybody else, because he, he needs to get started, apparently. Um, but there's a number of days where I'm just sitting at the kitchen table, uh, eating, eating food with him and the kids, and then all of a sudden I will see my son and his powerful hair sprint from the table out the back door into the yard, and then he'll come running back in, and he'll scream, Dad, there was a hummingbird! And he sees this through the window where we put a bird feeder. Uh, so then in the morning when he gets up, he can look at the hummingbirds. Um, and in part... It, and I should mention that he, he's in this phase now where he only wears pajama pants, so he's always half naked, right, and barefoot, so he just runs out into the yard, you know, no care in the world, and sees hummingbirds and comes back in. Um, and in some ways, that's sort of like the problem with the whole summer, right, is that they're always stopping to look at hummingbirds or frogs or something, but they are not following any routines, right? Um, And so there's something really fascinating about this that I've been thinking about, and that is there's something deep within my kids 
um, some instinct, something about how they understand the world that I have forgotten. Um, an idea that is central to how we understand the scripture. Uh, many theologians will say it is the thing to understand about the scripture, and that's this idea of the Sabbath, to find peace and to rest um, and to just be in creation. And my, my kids remind me all the time of that sort of peacefulness, of that sort of wonder that comes with chasing hummingbirds um, or going to the beach and swimming all day long without a care in the world. Um, Right? My kids understand a beach bod to be one that is a body able to go in the water. Yeah? Let that sink in for a second. They understand that time is simply a problem that involves when they have to stop doing wonderful things in God's creation, right? They have a totally different wiring for how they view the world. And I think part of my desire to control things and to, to sort of have schedules is I, I have this desire to imagine that the problem with the summertime um, is that there are no routines and there are no schedules and that's the big deal, right? That that's what we're missing out on. Um, but as I've been thinking about this, um, really late last night as I was totally reconsidering what I wanted to talk about, um, I realized that the problem isn't that my kids aren't keeping a schedule and that our house is unruly. It's that the big people in their lives have forgotten how beautiful it is to go around chasing hummingbirds. And that there's something about the rhythms of my life that are out of whack, that I am not in a place of rest or peace. Um, and so today I want us to talk about this idea of Sabbath um, as central to our experience of God and how it is sort of, sort of floating around all of the psalms that we read, particularly psalms that maybe are a little bit more challenging to understand. Um, so rather than sort of open in prayer today, I just want to read Psalm 73. It's a longer psalm, um, and I want to read it, and I want us to think about this idea of finding refuge in God, of finding rest, of finding peace, of practicing the Sabbath, um, and what are the implications for that in our daily lives, okay? Does that make sense? So we're going to put together a lot of pieces, but that's where we're going, is how does our practice of Sabbath um, inform the decisions and the ways that we live our lives? How does it create the rhythms of who we are and how we move? Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned therein. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. 
Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. Lord, be with us today as we think about your psalms and your word. May this be a place where we can find peace and rest. Let us know you and your creation and help us to reconsider the rhythms of our life. Amen. All right, so there's this saying uh, in the study of the scripture, particularly in the rabbinical tradition, which simply means the rabbis that were teaching in the Old Testament times. Um, And it was this phrase. It was, God spoke all these words. And so this would happen when they were learning from the Torah, and and a rabbi would say to someone who was in disagreement with him, God spoke all these words. And the idea was something like this, that if there are people that are following after God, and they are committed to God, and they know God, and they love God, and they want to hear his word, that there will often be times when there are disagreements, and these are not things that we should be concerned with, right? Because our check and balance for that thing is that we have the scripture, we have each other, and we have the experience of God during the Sabbath, right? So this this great connection of things that God spoke all things, so we are to wrestle and to figure out. Um, To put it another way, the goal of learning the scripture was not simply to memorize dates or authors or what a single word meant. Rather, the goal of studying scripture was always connected to understanding how do we apply it, right? There is no no reading the, 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 the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, uh, there's no idea of reading those things just for the sake of reading those things, right? It's always about reading and talking and discussing and praying through so that we can then apply it to our lives. Um, and of course, this is, the Psalms are not part of the Torah or the book of instruction. Um, they are part of something else which is called the Ketuvim, which is the writings. Um, and so the Psalms in the early church were not viewed as places that you went to find absolute uh, truth, right? No one is really considering do I panteth like a deer? Am I doing that well enough? How many panteth do a deer take? Um, that wasn't the point of the Psalms, right? The Psalms had this different function, and that function was this. You studied the Torah with your rabbis. You worked through what is God telling us? How does he want us to live? And the Psalms were places where people were talking about trying to live out those commandments, their experiences of living out God's call in their life. Um, and so the Psalms didn't provide instruction in the same way that maybe Leviticus or Deuteronomy did. Instead, the Psalms were reflections upon the types of experiences encountered when one tried to live out God's will, right? Reflections upon the experience of trying to live out God's will. So a typical thing would happen like this. On the Sabbath, you would celebrate with each other. There would be teaching from the Torah. And then during the week, you would pray through a psalm that uh, is connected to that ideal, right? So that often there are laments or there are encouragements or there's... Um, rebukes or exhortations. There's all these different things in the Psalms, but they were connected to these teachings um, during um, 
uh, studying the Torah, right? So one way to think about this is uh, how many of you have ever picked up somebody from the airport that just went on a long trip, right? Okay, and you, what's the, you ask them the question, how was your trip, right? And you'd be incredibly shocked if they replied, completed. <laughs> right? Or if you said, how was your trip? And they said, well, it was 22 days long. Three of those were travel. Four of those were, were in this, right? That's not really what the question is, right? The question is, I want you to reflect on your experience of travel, right? And so when you say, how was your trip? People start to tell you what they felt, what they experienced, right? Oh, this was amazing, right? Um, and, and we love that, and we want to know that. And what's so amazing about that is everyone can tell a different kind of story, right? Everyone can tell about their own experiences. And so we have an endless amount of people that we can ask, how were your travels? Now, if we flip that around, right, and we asked our friend, how was your trip? But we know that they live in their mom's basement and they haven't moved in six months, right? And they begin to talk to us and say, oh, my gosh, my travels have been amazing. I've really learned a lot about cultures and my relationship in the world and blah, blah, blah. And we would say, you live in your mom's basement. You don't do anything, right? And it's because we understand what travel means, right? We've all traveled. Right? So this is, the, this is the way the Torah and the Psalms worked, right? We understand travel, right? We know what that means, but what we want is a reflection on travel. That's what we're interested by, right? So when we think about God's word, we say, okay, what am I supposed to do? In Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all these books, they lay out these kinds of rules and these understandings that we have. So we, embody, we, we take those things in. We say, what does it mean uh, to follow after God? It means these things. And then we have the Psalms as a way to help us pray through those things, to be able to read about other people's experiences trying to live out uh, God's call in our life, right? Pretty beautiful system if you think about it, right? There's always this little encouragement, this little sort of uh, uh, extra something that we have in the Psalms to help us work through what it means to follow after God. Um, Are we tracking with that? Is it making sense? Yeah? 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 Good? Okay. The nice thing about recordings is I can say, excellent, great, right? Even if you're all shaking your heads, I have no clue what he's saying. I can just be like, great, great. We're really on point here. Um, all right. Uh, so w- one of the things in understanding the Psalms um, is to understand uh, Walter Brueggemann, who is an amazing theologian, says there's two key concepts to the Old Testament that we often overlook because it has not primarily been the experience of Christians, particularly Western Christians, right? And that is these two central ideas that float around all of the Old Testament and are necessary for us to sort of get a sense of if we want to know what's going on in the Psalms. And those two ideas are slavery and exile, right? Most of us have not experienced slavery. Most of us have not experienced exile. So these are often concepts that we forget or or don't really understand, probably. Um, but Brugman says to understand what's happening in the Old Testament and really what's, under, what's going on in the Psalms is to understand this felt experience of what it meant to once be slaves and then to be in exile, to not have your own homeland, right? Um, and so we could talk about that forever, but I was given strict instructions that on a day when we're talking about Sabbath and finding rest that I had to be done quickly. Um, just let it sit. Um, so we're going to talk about one really particular thing about the idea of slavery, right? Uh, and this, this, a lot of this comes from a couple of great books, but one of the books I think you should all go by today and read the entire thing um, is a book called Sabbath as Resistance by Walter Brueggemann, okay? Sabbath as Resistance. Um, it's an amazing book, really timely for our culture. 
but in that book, Brugman lays out this, uh, this idea that is something like this. The experience of slavery for the Jewish people um, was one in which they were turned into chattel. They were turned into the property of the pharaoh. Uh, they were turned into commodities. And their entire existence depended upon how much they could produce, right? They were part of an economic system, right? As much as they carried bricks on their back, they were the bricks that were building Egypt, right? They were nothing but a commodity to be used. And so their entire day was divvied up in work, 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 production, 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 right? Um, There's this little moment in the book of Exodus when uh, Moses and Aaron begin to have the people start to think about things differently, and they're not working enough. And so this is what Pharaoh says. He says, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Now there are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop working. That day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves, but you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. This is why they cry. Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them and then their labor at all and pay no attention to their deceptive words, right? Their punishment for trying to take time to reflect on who Yahweh was is that in order to do so, they had to stop working. And when Pharaoh saw this, it made him sick. And so he decided to say, not only are you going to work more, you're going to work harder, right? And so Brugman's argument is that to understand the Old Testament and to understand the laments in the Psalms is to understand this experience of slavery, that you are nothing but the things that you can produce. That you are nothing but the work you can do. You are nothing but the labor that the Pharaoh sees as important. Now, I'm not, gonna let, I'm not going to sort of let us off the hook and start putting this into contemporary stuff yet. You all know where this is going and you're all sensing it. You are part of a system that makes you only about your labor, right? This is what Yahweh is telling his people. So what happens? He frees them. They go into the desert, right? And we get the Ten Commandments. And then we get the Fourth Commandment, right? The Fourth Commandment is keep Sabbath, right? Um, Patrick Miller, who uh, is a a, a theologian uh, used to teach at Princeton, says that the Fourth Commandment is what he calls the crucial bridge to understanding God and his people. The first three commandments are about the character of God. The last six commandments are how we are to treat our neighbor. And in the middle, there is this little tiny commandment that says, keep the Sabbath holy. Right? It is the space between who is God and who are we. Right? Sabbath is that moment where we reflect, we take time away from these systems of the world that dictate our lives in order, in order to love our neighbors well. Oh, Huh? Right? That the fourth commandment serves as this bridge between who is God and how are you to love his creation, right? And the only way that we can do the second part of that commandment is to reflect on the first commandments, to understand who God is. And to understand who God is is to take time away from the systems of the world that dictate so much of our labor. Yeah, are we tracking with this? This is a big idea, yeah? Okay. Um. So, uh, Miller says this. He says that we are not to be slaves like, we are not to be slaves to other gods like Pharaoh, 
nor will we be slaves to systems of production that view our every action as labor. The fourth commandment on Sabbath is the most difficult and most urgent of commandments in our society because it summons us to intent and and conduct that defies the most elemental requirements of a commodity-propelled society that specializes in control and entertainment, bread and circuses. To practice Sabbath, Brugman says, is to practice an act of resistance. To, t- to live in the space between the kingdom that is coming and the world that we have. To take time away from always being busy, from always working, from always being a part of these systems that only value us for our labor is an act of resistance. Because when you do such things, the pharaohs of the world will come down on you. Right? But it's not only an act of resistance, it's also an act of hope because it offers an alternative to people, right? That they see that you are somehow different. That you live in strange and unique ways, that you pause and you take time away from the busyness of the world that is constantly telling you you need to go, 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 do, do, do. That you take time away from that in order to live in the peace of God. Um, uh, so let's, let's speed up. Um, okay. So if we're tracking with this, we're going to, we're going to cut this and just start, we're just going to start, we're freestyle, Chris. Um, so what does this mean for us, right? So if we look at Psalm 73, what we have going on here is that the very first part of that Psalm is all about coveting what our neighbor has, right? That I see the wicked and they don't seem to have a, a care or a worry, that they have all these riches, that they feel no pains until death, right? It's someone reflecting on the world around him and saying, how is it that I get these things? How is it that I get the stuff others have, right? Thou shall not covet. What commandment's that? Ten, right? It's at the end. It's on the other side of that bridge, right? So what does the psalmist do? Well, there's a space between this covetedness that he has of I want the things that my neighbor has, I want the peace that seems to come with people that are living in a completely different way, that are living out of touch with God, and yet they seem to have everything. Why does it work for them? Why are they so blessed? Blah, blah, blah. You've heard all this stuff before, right? That's why Costco always sells some book about how you pray the secret prayer and you'll get stuff, right? It's because we don't actually care about what we're getting. We just think that we need stuff. And the reason we think we just need stuff is because like those Hebrews, we all have pharaohs in our life who have convinced us that the only thing that matters is how much you work and how you fit into the system, right? This is the dilemma. And so what happens? Well, at the end of the psalm, he says, Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you, right? This place, creation as it is now, is not put to rights, as N.T. Wright would say. It's not the way that it's going to be. It's not the way that it's going to finish up. Okay? And our desire is for the peace of God that comes when his kingdom is fulfilled. And so what is it that we could possibly want here other than to have a relationship with the Lord, right? What is it that we want? What are you going to take with you? Uh, Nothing, right? You're not going to take anything with you. We won't get into the fact that the new heaven and the new earth and probably what you're doing here is going to matter somehow in eternity. That's for another Sunday. But you certainly ain't taking anything with you. Okay? 
But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all his works, right? So the psalmist starts with all of these things that he desires and sees, right? To be a part of a system in which his labor is rewarded more fully. How do I get this stuff? How do I make this money? How do I get this promotion? How do I, how do I get into these schools? How do I get the right partner, right? All of these systems that change everything into simply what are you worth based on what you can do? And the psalmist gets there, and then he moves to this place that says, no, what I need is Sabbath. What I need is rest. What I need is a place to find different rhythms to my life, right? I have to take refuge in God, to take pause, to live in this moment where God, uh, God, creator of the universe, um, is giving me a right understanding of the world. But to do that, we have to pause. So, big idea, right? Big idea. Sabbath is a space between the kingdom that is going to be fulfilled someday and the world that we have now. And Sabbath is a place where we're able to reflect that we are not simply chattel, that we are not simply the works that we can do, whether those are works judged by Pharaoh or some messed up version that you have of God the Father, that you are only about your works, right? Sabbath is a place for us to rest in the space between the coming kingdom and the world we have now and be able to reflect on who am I in relationship to God? And you are beloved, and you are a child of God, etc., etc., etc. But let's talk about application. So how do we apply this, right? Well, three things I want to offer today that are very practical, I think. That was a joke. Uh, they're not going to be really practical. Like, do everything right. Amen. Um, uh, the first is this. It's hard for us to see the ways in which we make people into commodities because we have become very clever about pretending that we don't do it, right? So I'll start with this point, and we'll connect them together. There has yet, to my knowledge, been a study done in the last 20 years about the use of technology in people that does not say it creates some level of anxiety in us. Let me say that again, (laughs) and you guys can Facebook it. Um, There has never been a study that has demonstrated that the use of technology does not create some sense of anxiety. So what does that mean? Well, Facebook is designed to do what? We're going to pick on Facebook, pick on lots of stuff, right? It's designed to collect a bunch of data that can then be sold to people so they can sell you products, right? I know many of you live in this world that it's just Mark Zuckerberg's he loves the creation and wanted to give us something where we could take pictures of food. Um, yeah. <laughs> or pin, 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 pin time, penny, penny dreadful. Um, wh- whatever that other thing is, right, that's even more obnoxious. Like, let's remove all words and we'll just take pictures of random stuff and say things like, yay. Um, <laughs> right? None of these things are free. They are all business models, So, here's the cold water. You don't have to think about turning your friends into commodities. You did. That little computer program behind the screen, every time you click yes, or like, or what is it, what are the buttons, like? (laughs) I I always want there to be like a self-destruct button. Um, But that's not on there. There's only like, and guess what happens? You push like and send him these, these ads, Right? 
And then what's the sneaky thing that you can do? Because you have those friends that are annoying, right? Oh, they're the worst. They put on, like, happy pictures. Oh, and they're, they live in a nice house. Oh, I hate those people. Right? I'll defriend them. But the way the program works is they'll never see it. So I can just get rid of the people I don't like. And no one knows. And I don't have to see their obnoxious life. Oh, and their cute kids. Oh, and their pets. Oh, give me more food pictures. Um, right? And so we don't, this anxiety that's created, right? All these studies that are done about why is it that when you look at your phone at nighttime, you cannot go to sleep, right? <laughs> that, guys, that's pretty technical research language. When you want to go to bed at nighttime, why can't you sleep? Um, and look, we want to say, oh, it's because it's doing something to the neurons in your brain, and it probably is. I'm not denying that. But there's also the spiritual component. It never allows you to stop being part of these systems, right? What's happening next? Right? Right? And lots of people make fun of that and say, oh, I was at dinner the other night and I saw all these young people and all these young people had phones out while they're eating. Oh, don't they even care about each other? No, that's the point. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's a monstrous activity. It's a monstrous activity to sit in front of someone and say, you're mildly interesting, but not as interesting as a screen. That if I don't look at, I will have anxiety because for a second, I might be out of the system that the Pharaohs created. So, what's a practical way to do this? Anybody ever had like cussing jars or anything like this? That probably gives you a sense of like how I talk at home. Um, <laughs> right? Here's, what I, here's a practical, because I know everyone likes application. So here's a practical application. Make a jar. At, don't make the jar. Well, make the jar, yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you are a weaver or a glass blower, the next few things are going to be great for you. Um, what? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll send you a link with uh, directions on how to make glass. Um, okay. Take a jar or a box or a rock that you can throw your phone on uh, and put that thing away when you walk in the house, right? What I really would like you to do is take like a lamb shank and like white blood over your door frame and then when you walk in, your phone is thrown out into the street because here no evil shall pass. I don't think that's going to happen. That's, that's not covered in the all everything plan from Verizon. Um, okay, but take a box or something like this and put your phone away when you sit down to eat with people. Put your phone away when you're having breakfast with your kids. Put your phone away when you're sitting in front of somebody else who's trying for a second to get a piece of the Lord that will give them rest, and you are twiddling away, carpe diem, your carpal tunnel, knock it off, right? Now, I'm guilty of this too, so here's what I want you to do. Here's a practical application. If you see me fiddling with my phone, which could happen because fantasy football's coming up, um, just come up to me and say, peace, John, peace of the Lord. Ah. Right? And I'll put it away. Right? And then don't get cute and start doing it all the time when I'm at work or something. Right? But if you put your phones away, practical, right? Unleash yourself from all these systems that we're a part of, right? Second thing is this. When we are filled with anxiety and we only can think about what's next, what's next on our schedule, what's next on our schedule, what's next on our schedule, the thing that we lose is the idea of hospitality. 
right? Uh, some of you know uh, Jerry Sitzer from Wentworth. Uh, he is a wonderful person in my life. Uh, but he is always telling me, every time I see him passing in the hallway, right, that it's hospitality, John, that's going to change things. I love it. It's true, right? But when we feel busy and overworked and overwhelmed and we feel like we can't have rest, it's really hard to invite people into that space. Not to mention it's a nightmare if they show up. Oh, my goodness. You got to clean up after them. They're stressed out. You're stressed out. You all pull out your phones and pass out in some sort of, like, text messaging, like, right? And so when we are filled with anxiety, when we are the kind of people that don't take Sabbath, what we lose is hospitality. And then when we lose hospitality, we lose the thing that has always made us unique as a people of God, that we are the ones that step outside of the systems of the world, invite the stranger and the orphan and the widow to the table, right? And if we are too stressed out and we feel too overworked and we can't find peace, it's really hard to have the energy and the desire to welcome other people in, right? And that's the thing that makes us unique, right, is that we're hospitable, right? So practical example. Next time that you want to get together with somebody and they suggest meeting somewhere that is not your home, say, no, come to my house. Just that, right? Everybody goes to restaurants. That's what they're there for. They're part of a system. They sell food. You buy food. That pays workers. That's part of the system, right? Your home, hopefully, unless you have weird dinner parties where you charge admission, (laughs) right? Your home is a place outside of those systems. Invite people into your home, right? Invite them into your home. But we're so stressed out. We're so busy. We're so this. We're so that. That hospitality is a thing that we don't practice enough of, right? Have you ever noticed how many times the the Pharisees show up and Jesus is just having some sort of, like, party? Right? It's like those, like, uh, teen films from the 80s where the cops always show up and it's, like, crazy. Like, that's how I kind of imagine Jesus. Like, oh, hey, guys. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's here except you. You get all hung up on stuff. Um, Right? Practice hospitality. Right? And if you find yourself able to be hospitable, I have a hunch that you're probably taking time to Sabbath as well, right? And the last thing is this, find rhythm, right? Probably my kids are off the, off the chain right now. Like, that's true. Like, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, and they probably need, like, some better parenting or something. I'm not going to deny that either. Um, but what they don't need is, like, we don't all need to be on our Outlook calendar, like, locking everything down, right? That's not what's going on. Right? What's going on is that my life is out of rhythm. Right? It's all about keeping dates, having meetings, uh, going to work, doing this, doing that, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and my kids just don't function in that way. And so we're in conflict. We're in conflict because they have rhythm. It's odd. It's an odd rhythm. And I don't. I have a schedule. And the monstrousness of my parenting is that what I want them to understand is that they need to get better at schedules. Not that as a family we need to get better at finding rhythms, right? We've talked a lot in the last year at Newcom about the idea of margins and giving yourself space. A friend of mine likes to use the term bandwidth, right? How much can we give out before we run out, right? We talk about those things because in our culture they're really important. But... I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, how do I make a better schedule? And for some of us, financial difficulties, family troubles, health issues 
all of these things add to the way that your life is busy. And so then you, I don't want you to leave here just going like, I am so, I feel so bad about having a job. Um, <laughs> I want you to have a job. I do. <laughs> That's what I imagine the debates are going to look like in a couple weeks. There'll be somebody's opening line. I want you to have a job, just we're not going to make any. Um, all of these things are important things, right? But practicing the Sabbath, like Jesus reminds the Pharisees, practicing the Sabbath is not just another set of rules and dogmas. It's an attitude. It's a way to orient your life, right? Schedules, calendars, all that kind of stuff, uh, those are important, but they do not make a life, right? They do not make a life. We have to have rhythms, right? These deep emotional connections to who God is, to our, who our neighbor is, to who our families are, these things that inspire the ways that we're going to interact, right? So you can go to your job on Monday and have a different kind of rhythm, right? You can have a responsibility on Saturday and live in a different kind of rhythm, but that's really hard to do, and it's hard to do because nothing in our culture says, hey, you should sometimes just pause and not do anything, right? Nothing in our culture says, eh, hard work's fine, I guess. But having people over at the table, that's way more important, right? Nothing in our culture says, uh, hey, have you thought about maybe unplugging from the network for a moment and just living without constant input, right? Our world is moving so fast all the time. And it creates this anxiety. And as Brugman says, it's our nature as the people of God to resist such things, to resist any time that the pharaohs of the world want you to carry more bricks, right? It's our job as the people of God to live differently, to live in resistance to those things, to take time and space to reflect on creation, to live in different kinds of rhythms so people can see you differently, Right? I often get frustrated with my students who will say things like, one of the ways I show people Jesus is by coming to class on time. <laughs> the worst human in the world comes to class on time. <laughs> one of the ways I show people Jesus is that I come to work. Was that a problem for somebody that I don't know about? Is there whole groups of just non-believers out there just not coming to work? That has not been my experience. Perhaps it is. It has not been my experience, right? And so what we do is we take the Pharaoh's laws and we try to cram those into our experiences as people of God. And that's not really all that hopeful for anybody else. Right? What's hopeful is to live slightly differently, to live in a different kind of rhythm, to be sort of odd, to invite people to your home, right? To sometimes say, I'm not going to look at my phone for 30 entire American minutes, right? That I am not going to spend all of my time concerned with what's next, what's next, what's next. Instead, I'm going to try to find that space between the kingdom that God is building for us and the world that we have now. Yeah? Making sense? Okay. Um, I struggle with this myself. Um, and so in lots of ways, someone asked me beforehand, like, are you excited about today to talk? And I was like, ah, no. Uh, 
And part of it is because if I say this stuff, then I probably should do it myself. Um, and I really like my phone. Uh, but it's hard for me because I can look back at times in my life where I have been so out of rhythm and so out of the practice of Sabbath that it has caused injury to relationships, physical harm to myself, emotional harm, spiritual harm. Um, And I don't think, if you ask me most days, uh, that I would say that I am a person that's filled with peace. And I wonder if any of you would answer that question, that you're peace-filled, that you have plenty of rest, that you have plenty of time in that space between the kingdom that is coming and the world that we have to reflect on how amazing and beautiful God is and then to use that energy to love and serve others well. On most days, I don't think I can say that. And so my prayer really today is that in some ways, if I say this stuff out loud, then maybe I'll get to do it better myself, right? But I have a hunch also that many of you experience this too. Um, and so my hope today is that you don't leave here feeling guilty about you have to like go change your schedule or do something like that or break your phone or whatever. Um, but rather that you would just say, okay, how do I create a rhythm in which I stand sometimes in awe of God and I allow that feeling of wonder and power to encourage me to love others well. So, that's all I have. I want to close with a benediction. May the Lord of peace give you hummingbirds to chase. May he grant you the space for rest and refreshment. May the God of hope give you time to sleep in the sun and break bread around a table of friends and strangers. And may you find yourself in comfort of the Lord in the space between heaven and earth practicing Sabbath as an act of resistance and of hope. May you go today, love, and serve the Lord and each other. Amen. Have a good week.